time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpell.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, June 28th. 2020, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and I'm coming to you live from isolation in beautiful Austin, Texas, and I hope that you're all staying safe wherever you are. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual, and we have another great program in store for you this evening. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined by Professor of Education, Dr. Zakia Gates. Dr. Gates, who refers to herself as an intentional, transformative, culturally responsive social justice professor of education, is back. Um, She's joining us from Philadelphia, and this time she's here to give her expert opinion about what's happening right now in America and how we can be part of the solution. And I'll be discussing a few of my thoughts about living with passion during a pandemic and a few other things. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I'll read them on the air. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening's program Again, by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with any website links that we talk about on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. And the podcast will also be available five minutes after the show on Apple Podcasts. And for information from this show and updates about previous programs, to listen to previous programs, go to my website, drmaricarpell.com. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and Apple Podcasts for all of the shows going all the way back six and a half years since we've been on Blog Talk Radio. And for upcoming programs and to find out about upcoming events and find out when my uh, blogs have posted, things like that, anything future-oriented, go to my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere. It's going to be very brief. And when we come back, we'll be joined right here on the phone by Dr. Zakia Gates, professor of education in Philadelphia, to talk about social justice in this time. Go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years 
live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And now joining us on the phone from Philadelphia, Professor of Education, Dr. Zakia Gates, and she's a professor of social justice, and she was here in February and now is back to give us her perspective on what's happening right now in America. So welcome, Dr. Gates. Hi, how are you? I have my earphones in this time, so can you hear me? I can hear you great, um, but also okay. just remember there's a slight delay when we talk like this, so it's good to keep that in mind. Um, okay, no How problem. are you? How are you? Um, I'm alive. I'm I'm well, healthy. Um, okay. That's just one side of it, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> right. I'm glad that you're healthy. Um, yeah. That's like really important right now. Uh, welcome mm-hmm. back. Um, a lot has shortchanged since time you were on. It was only just a few short months ago you were here in early February. And um, yes. since you were here, the world has changed. So you're on a lockdown, pandemic, and at the same time, the world has kind of woken up Um about social justice. So before we jump mm-hmm. before we jump into that, maybe you can tell our listeners who who didn't tune in last time you were here just a little bit about your background and who you are. Okay. Well, um, my name is Dr. Sakia Gates, and um, I have over 21 years of experience working in education, um, K through 12 context, but also I'm an assistant professor of education where I use social justice as my mission, as my lens to guide my my lectures and activities of my pre-service teachers and teacher professionals. And a lot of my research interest focuses around critical race theory, critical theory in education, um, gender education, but specific to black women and uh, societal navigation, and also culturally relevant pedagogical practices in urban contexts. And I'm the mother of a beautiful 19-year-old African-American woman who's a sophomore mm-hmm. at Cabrini University as well, so I had to throw that out there too. Okay, okay. Well, that's important too. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I'm so glad that you are, you know, that you wanted to come back and you're willing to come back. And this is a really, I really wanted to speak with you. This is like a you're the expert in this area. And so your perspective, I think, is really, really important right now. Um, You know, I mentioned the pandemic, which is, you know, we talked about being healthy. And I know that this is something that affects everybody, but seems to be really hitting the the African-American community and black and brown communities really the hardest at the same time as, you know, um, everybody kind of woke up to what's going on and what's been going on for a long time with, you know, with injustice um, in the United States. And so maybe, where do we start? Maybe you can kind of start with, you can, you can lead. Okay. (laughs) Where do you want to start with this intersection? Um, as far as the introduction is concerned, let me just, you know, just say um, I wouldn't be someone of social conscious if I didn't say this first. So I just want to send my prayers to Ahmaud Arbery's family, Breonna Taylor's family, George Floyd's family. So I wanted to say that first. Um, I also mm-hmm. wanted to send my, my prayers and all of my support to our beautiful multiracial young people who are currently leading in these marches and these protests and the fact that they're keeping it consistent. Um, I can actually mm-hmm. see them changing this world. And as Time Magazine has described them, this article I read is that they are the youth quake. So because mm-hmm. they're shaking so many things up at this moment. So, yes, they have definitely arisen. <laughs> I think it was always there. Uh-huh. But um, 
just to look at this through the lens of social justice in 2020, but it more so looks like social injustice in the eye of the storm. Mm-hmm. because this is what and how we're living in this time right now. So in order for us to critically dissect this social injustice in the eye of the storm for this current year of 2020, as Gen Xers and even baby boomers who may be listening, we have to have a real clear understanding and analysis of the trauma that our young people, millennial and Gen Z, have either faced, that they're facing now, and how this may continue that they may continue to face this if we don't look at this matter through their perspective and their lens. So Mm -hmm. there, Mm -hmm. there has to be this very strong acknowledgement of their pain. So if I were to start up by thinking about the young woman, I'm going to call her a baby. I'm a parent. I call everyone a baby, but if I were to think about the young African American woman who 17 years old, who actually recorded this modern day lynching Mm. of George Floyd's death Mm. and I took it upon myself, thinking in social justice, as to how can I reach out to her to help her through this Mm. trauma of just recording someone's death that way because people have been responding to her by saying, why didn't you do something? Like almost like cyberbullying this young lady. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, she's 17 years old. What could she have done with four police officers who have guns and tasers and batons? What could she have done? At that point, she did. She couldn't have done anything, but yeah, what she did was the most powerful thing possible. Yeah, yeah, and Mm -hmm. it's it's just amazing to me how people are not thinking about the empathy, like just having a sense of empathy as to just thinking, like Mm -hmm. you just said, what what could she have done? Mm -hmm. What could she have done? She might be dead on that ground too if she would have done something that we wanted her to do. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so so I, I I know why these young people are in the street. You know, and yeah. I if I were to take this back 15 years ago, um, I'm not calling myself a psychic psychic, but it was just something I felt in my spirit. 15 years ago, when I worked as a middle school teacher and also worked in juvenile facility later on, but I noticed that young people were not actively engaged in the classrooms, and I think we've seen this over and over again because. Our educational system in the U.S. is really, really messed up, and it's basically a system of deprivation for our young people. It's just a continuous Mm -hmm. cycle. And I noticed they weren't engaged. So I decided to set things aside and actually have an open forum so that students were able to express their issues and their concerns and their grievances. So when I looked across this, across different races and gender identity and, and religion as well, I began to see this common denominator among young people. And the common denominator was they were angry. They couldn't really say about too many things as to what or why, but uh, they were angry about things. Hmm. So Mm -hmm. I decided to create these brave and safe spaces for them to air out these issues. And it didn't matter to me how it came out. It didn't matter if they used some type of profanity because they're young people. So I think that sometimes that's where we make them. Yeah, we make the mistake of you can tell me what's going on just as long as you you make me feel comfortable in hearing your experience. And I, I couldn't do right. that. I just couldn't uh-huh. do that. So I took the information from what I gathered from a lot of these young people over 15 years, and I spoke about it to other teachers and administrators and some friends and some family members. And people thought I was crazy when I said this statement. But I said, if we don't give our young people a platform to air out their voices, if we limit that, I guarantee you somewhere down the line, there's going to be an explosion. And that explosion is going to have some violence. We don't want that, but there's going to be an explosion if we don't give them that platform to air out Mm -hmm. what's really going on. And people, oh, you're overthinking it. Oh, they're just kids. Oh, they'll get past it. Uh, Wait till they go to college. They'll see a whole different angle. Our college students are upset (laughs) because they want Uh change, a lot of change. So the modern-day lynching of George Floyd, and my daughter and I were watching it, maybe about an hour, hour and a half, right after his body was taken away in, in mm-hmm. Minneapolis, there was this young Native American indigenous young man who was on TV, and he pulled down his mask for about a couple seconds, and he was speaking to a reporter. And before the reporter could even ask a question, he said, you know what, we're tired of this. We're mm-hmm. so tired of this. We have had enough. We're done. And he, he walked away. And I saw all these other young people running in the background. 
And I told my daughter, I said, didn't I call this out 15 years ago? Mm-hmm. I said this. Mm-hmm. I said this was going to happen. So it's, it's George Floyd, it's Breonna Taylor, it's Ahmaud Arbery, but these protests citywide, nationwide, and globally, it's, it's bigger than this now. Because at, at this point, our young people lack leadership. Not saying in them, but they, have, they don't have people to look up to at this point. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I talked to my daughter. I talked to her a lot about this, and I asked her. I said, who are your real leaders in your generation? Who are your real leaders? I'm not talking about people on YouTube. I'm not talking about what I coined as trauma pimps. I said, I'm not talking about them. I said, who are your leaders in your generation? And she looked at me with a straight face, and she said, Mom, we have nobody. No one's mm-hmm. looking out for us. No one's there to be, like, no one. No one's there for us. And it almost stopped my heart. But mm-hmm. I said I had to take a mm-hmm. step back. I had to humble myself to say, you know what, if that's her experience, that's her experience. But I'm glad she said we. She just didn't think about herself. She said we have no one that's looking out for right. us. So all these young people in the street, and when I say it's multiracial, it's so many different social identities into the street mm-hmm. that I said, this is what's going on. This is not just the three recent deaths that happened all at one time. I said, but this is mass shootings in schools and how leadership doesn't care. Our young mm-hmm. people are just asking a ban on AK-47s, and the NRA is not trying to hear that. So now they look at it, okay, my life doesn't matter. So this is mass right. shootings. This is, you know, a, an administration, I don't talk about this too much, but an administration that takes aim at people with disabilities and how mm-hmm. they want to roll things back and civil rights they want to roll back. So now young people are looking at, do I have a future? <laughs> do I really have right. a future at this point? So it's not only just these deaths of these three beautiful people, but this has sparked as well this global protest of these deaths and Mm -hmm. this accumulation of Mm -hmm. just everything under three and a half years of ineffective administration and leadership. So when my daughter said we have no one, I have to agree with her. And I said, that's why our young people are in the street. So when I see people in wheelchairs as well in the street, I said, that's what it was right there. Making fun of the disabled. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to get your attention Um, to our elderly. When I read about, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, go on. Do you oh, think sorry. that the pandemic had a had a place in this? The fact that people oh. were, you know, able to pay attention because nothing else was distracting them? Yeah, and the pandemic also coupled with things that have go- been going on, that, and I can't put on a scale to measure either one, but also, right. you know, the American people being told, oh, this is a hoax. So mm-hmm. people people were angry about that as as no one's life matters. <laughs> at all. And that's right. where if they all were this, seeing this, this their anger. family members they were seeing their family members and their grandparents dying while they're hearing people tell them that it's a hoax, right? Yes, yes. I've had yes. plenty of college students who cannot continue in the fall because they're grieving over their mm-hmm. own family members who have died from this pandemic and still it's just a hoax, don't worry about it. This is just some kind of political game. So it's just right. life doesn't life is not regarded, and the young people are saying no, we matter, and you're going to listen to us whether you like it or mm-hmm. not, and that's right. why they're out there. Yeah. So it kind of sounds to me, you know, the way that I've been seeing it, and tell me if you agree, is that even though this is a really really painful thing, it's something that needed to happen. Like, yeah. You know, growth and, is painful. Yes, it's extremely painful, and I like how the young people have not only become socially conscious, but they're becoming politically conscious. So mm-hmm. I have, I've spoken about this to teachers, and I've challenged them on this question about how are they going to create these, how are they going to have these conversations with their students in the fall? Like, how are you going to actually approach this? Because you have to have these conversations about what has occurred over the summertime and what may continue to occur um, over, mm-hmm. over the months to come. So I think when, when young people are not given that voice, it's going to, in these entities that they come from in the school, if the school shuts them out, if the churches shut them out by saying, come as you are, but as long as you're not gay, you can come as you are. Right. Or 
these, you know, or or families who just ask them, well, how was school today? So still that that uh-huh. you know that that youth is not getting that voice out. So to ask a youth how was school today, they could respond by saying the following: good, it was okay, you know, whatever. But no one's digging deeper right. to find out what's going on. So how was school? Well, hopefully it's still standing in the same spot when I return tomorrow. <laughs> That's how it's doing. It's, it's standing in the same place. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if if the if the school shuts them out, and, if, and one of the ways that schools shut out black and brown voices and and women and LGBTQ is through the curriculum. There's no voice mm-hmm. for them. So if I don't have a voice and my very existence doesn't matter, then how is school going to keep me safe? That's the question. How is school going to protect me and keep me safe from everything that's happening in the world? So I have to have a, right. an outlet. And many of our young people did not, and they don't have an outlet besides their peers. And sometimes we know how that can go at mm-hmm. times. So, you know, I haven't been, you know, since I worked mainly with, you know, older adults or, you know, adults who've been out of school for some time. What does mm-hmm. the, curri- the curriculum look like right now? Like right I, now you have I, a, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, you have the curriculum and you have state standards. So a lot of the state standards, if we really delve deeper into this, is basically created from big business people who probably have nothing to do with education, but also it's through the perspective of white, male, and elite. So mm-hmm. a lot of the resources are not even focused around giving that, that leeway and that voice to black and brown students in the class because the demographics are – I don't want to say slowly, but they're quickly changing. Mm-hmm. Now, teachers teachers can do their own thing in their individual classrooms, but sometimes it has to be done with caution because you never know who's watching you. And I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> you just never know who's okay. watching you. And the many times you had to actually close the door to get, as the young people say, just be real with us. Tell us what the real deal is. So mm-hmm. we, we all know Christopher Columbus didn't discover, did not discover America. Right. We, we should we should know that by now, you know. It's a lot of right. you know confusion in that, but I would uh-huh. say to teachers out there, you know what? Make the claim that he did discover America, but ask your students to challenge your claim. That's what you should do. Hmm. Like throw random mm-hmm. things out there, but ask them, "Hey, are you going to challenge my claim, or am I correct?" And allow them to teach you, because education should be a give and take. You teach me, I teach you, and then the roles reverse. Uh huh. So. Uh-huh. This this whole thing with the um with the curriculum really has to be revamped, and I I get the fact that they have to meet standards for standardized testing in different states. That part I do understand. However, if teachers want to use that social justice aspect in that, you can follow the curriculum but have a balance. So again, they they have to in the fall they have to address what is going on and what's on the minds of their students. They have to do that. So now I was really, I've been really confused <clears throat> because, you know, I grew up in New York and I went to school in New York City, um, you know, public school. And we learned <laughs> that the Civil War was about slavery and that the North, the Union, won the war, that the Confederates were were trying to secede, they were traitors against the United States and they were trying to secede and they lost. I moved to Texas and it seems as though they've learned a different history than me. Yes, and I I learned the same history and I heard the same three talking points that you were taught. It was about slavery, it was about the Union, the Confederacy and everything else that came after that. But if I were to put them to another perspective from another angle, it had nothing to do with the enslavement of African people in this country. It might have had some aspect, but not fully. So when people want to use the argument of the, well, we fought for you so that you can be free. That's, mm, that's okay. a talking point that, that has been um, stated, not only ingrained in my brain, but it was also ingrained in my, my daughter's brain and she went to a Catholic school. So okay. e- yeah, even in her um, world history class, she came home one day very upset, and she said, Mom, do you know the number one thing we have not covered in this world history class? And I said, what? She said, my teacher covered never, nothing about Africa. And I said, in a world mm-hmm. history class? She said, no, we didn't cover anything. And this was in June, so school was already done at that point. Mm-hmm. So right. to leave out certain aspects of, of history, 
not only leaves a certain group of people uneducated about themselves, but it also starts to exert a certain type of privilege from other people to say, well, this is what we have done, and you don't exist. You're, you're just like hmm. off on the sidelines. So when we need to come to you, we will. But other than that, we're in charge and you're not. And that's what history has done. You know, well, I can say the, right. the, you know, the misunderstandings of history, I guess, we, or the miseducation of history. But with these young people out here, this is part of it. It's an educational system that has deprived them from actually being advanced critical thinkers. So mm-hmm. when they're out oh, there, sure. you know, yeah. So when, when they're out <laughs> there, they're, they're criers for leadership. Someone just show us the way or we're going to do it in our way. This is how we're going to do this. So I know some people have had their opinions about the protests. I was out there myself with the young people to show my solidarity and my support to them. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. people had their, had their perspective about the looting that happened out there as well. And mm-hmm. I had to make it very clear that the demonstrators are not the looters. The looters are not the demonstrators. These are right. two different groups, two entirely different groups. Right. But at the same yes. time, speaking in terms of social justice, we always have to analyze why the looting happened. It's not just this is mm-hmm. what they did and they're wrong. We have to really delve deep into why this looting happened. And the number one main cause of the looting, because the looting didn't happen until law enforcement, the culture of law enforcement, became violent with the protesters and shooting of rubber bullets and the beatings Mm -hmm. and and the takedown to unarmed people who were having peaceful, organized protests. So that's where the looting came out of from that. Um, But for us to really understand that, there's an African proverb that says, And it goes back to the voices of the youth and what the youth are not seeing us when it comes to leadership as far as Gen X and and baby boomers. But if the youth are not initiated into the village, they will burn it down to fill its warmth. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. that's exactly, you know, what has happened. So the Gen X and baby boomers, there's this whole intergenerational gap. We have to allow the young people to come to the table with us. It cannot be like it used to be in black culture, at least it is, like Big Mama's House, where at Big Mama's House you had Sunday dinner where all the adults sat at one table to eat, and you were sat separately at the children's table to eat. So already there's this gap and this segregation that happens right Mm -hmm. there. They have to be allowed to come to the table with their issues, their goals, their objectives as to what they want and what they're looking for. And so far, our millennial and Gen Z have been doing that. They have a plan in place because it's their future that's on the line. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with the Gen Z, I have to tell you. Yeah, I they're, am too. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're a lot more active than I remember people being for years, you know, for decades. Yeah, yeah, my generation too. I just, I, I'm, I'm just glad that um, they haven't stopped. Because I, I really thought, mm-hmm. and this is probably my judgment, I really thought there was going to be a one-day thing and that was it. And I was already getting disappointed. But when yeah. I saw this not across Minneapolis, then we did it here in Philadelphia, at least three times in Philly so far. And then I saw in, in other areas across the country. And then I saw the UK. <laughs> and I see Paris. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And yeah. New Zealand and Japan and Korea. <laughs> I said, Nigeria, I said, oh, my God, this is, this is, this is beautiful. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And all of this action that other people are, are currently taking, like some of our major networks who, who I have to acknowledge and give credit that they had the Blackout Tuesday where they, you know, blacked everything out for eight minutes and 46 seconds in honor of what happened mm-hmm. to George Floyd. And we also took mm-hmm. a knee out there for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And I acknowledge that. Um, my my mm-hmm. question to them would be, um, as far as Netflix and MSNBC and um, Nickelodeon also did it, my question would be, you're saying Black Lives Matter, and I appreciate that, and you're about diversity and change. But before we do that, I would like to see a picture of your executive board or your board of trustees right. or your board mm-hmm. of directors to see if you have a diverse or multitude group of people who can use their lens um, to, to speak to how they actually conduct um, TV shows and, and, and media because it's up to the executive board to do that. 
So I right. give credit where credit is right. due, but I, I would like to, that would be my challenge question to them as well. Well, I've noticed, you know, like the company, every mailing list that I'm on to buy mm-hmm. things, for like all the different companies, like these companies I didn't even realize I was on their mailing list, received emails from them saying that they're in support of Black Lives Matter and that they are looking at their own um, policies in terms of hiring and promotion. And, you know, I hope they stick to that. But that was really pretty amazing to hear. Yeah. And that's a big change. If you said a year ago that you supported Black Lives Matter, people called you all kinds of names, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And now these corporations are sending these emails out, you know. Um, I mean, they have to stick to what they say, but that's really important, I think, what they're saying, that they're looking at their hiring practices and promotion practices because that's like a big, that's a big part of it, right? Yes. Yes, it is a huge part. And the key words you said was consistent. And mm-hmm. that's that's the main thing that communities of color women, LGBTQ, you know, people with disabilities, keep it consistent because this is impacting everyone around this planet. Consistency Mm -hmm. is key, and that's why these young people are out here consistently because consistency will get you consistency. So it it has really awakened a lot of the the media. Like the media is saying, okay, we hear you, we're paying attention, but I just asked the media again, Keep it consistent because once media falls to something mm-hmm. else, it's going to start all over again. <laughs> right. It will. Right. You know. it, yeah. And, you know, I look at it as in from a psychological perspective that each one of us has to really look at ourselves and, and what we're doing in our lives, especially white people. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, you know, we, like, I, you know, I've heard the author, um, forgot his name already. He was on Stephen Colbert the other night, and he was talking about anti-racism versus just non-racism, that we really have to do more than just say, well, I'm not a racist. We have to really look at our own behaviors and things that, you know, everybody has bias because you're brought up in a, in a country where that, you know, Every, you you pick up the biases of what's going on around you unintentionally. Yes, and, and this is true, yes. And it's, you know, and I really liked, there was another author who was saying um, it's really important to, it might have been the same author. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've seen so many interviews recently, but it's really important to allow people to, grow and to not shame them but but if they're willing to look at themselves and say hey I never realized that that was that what I was doing was biased or prejudiced or racist um, and I don't like that how can I change then we really need to allow people to change yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. And and I always give people like the three R's, like we learn about the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic. But we have to read, read, read. <laughs> That's what we have to. Right. You know, we. I, I would suggest that you know, those identify as white on a collective. I mean, individual is fine. And what I mean by collective is it takes individual white people to actually check and critique others, as you just said. You know, you have to critique mm-hmm. and and not so much criticize, but say, you know, was that, do you think that was really okay for you to say? This is how I would feel if that was said to me, but it's just being mm-hmm. cognizant of your, of your own privilege, you know, recognizing it and calling it out. And for, right. for whites who, who are not cognizant of their privilege, if they want a change, they can't come to the table without that. You have to recognize your own privilege. Then you have to be allowed to come to the table to, to talk about and to, you know, put yourself in these conversations of courageous conversations of race. And mm-hmm. if we're going to make the conversations courageous, they're going to be meaningful, but courageous, that means the person leading it should not make others in the room feel comfortable and cannot make others, cannot accommodate other people because racism is not comfortable. Sexism is not comfortable. Classism is not comfortable. So the conversations are not going to be that way as well. So right. 
um, you know, I would just tell white people that when someone who's black or someone who's brown or Asian, they're telling you about their racialized experiences living in the United States or even globally, is to not use your personal individual stories against a collective form of discussions about racism. So, mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. well, you know, um, to say things like, well, you know, I didn't do that to you. I have a black friend, so I wouldn't do that. Right. That doesn't help the situation, right. and it uh-huh. only makes the person of color just shut down and say, okay, you know what, um, conversation's over. Um, what's next on the agenda? You know, it's just right. it just stops the whole conversation right. because you're not giving acknowledgement to their experience. Right. It's the whole, you know, that whole thing about empathy and compassion is being able yeah. to not just say, I hear you, but really, really open yourself up to imagine what it might be like to walk in someone else's shoes. Yeah. And, you know, I might not, you know, my ancestors weren't here during the time of slavery, so I could go and use that argument. Well, that wasn't me. But yet I still benefit because of my complexion from, you know, yeah. I don't get pulled over. I don't get profiled um, right. because I'm white. I didn't ask yeah. for that to happen, but I still benefit from it. Um, so then what, you know, I look at myself and think, what can I do to help other people who are not like me have that benefit. What how can I how can I use my my platform, my privilege to help other people? And um, you know, it yeah, it goes back to and there's a man, his he's an anti um racist advocate. And his name is Tim mm-hmm. Wise. And one of the questions he asked in this documentary that he did, I think it was called White Like Me. Uh-huh. And he had a group of, of, of uh, whites, I think it were white young people, and he and the question was, what does it mean to be white? And so many of the white young people really had a hard time answering the question because I I think collectively white people don't have to think about it, if if that makes sense. You know, it's it's, it's part of that that privilege, like you said. I don't get pulled over, so mm-hmm. I I don't have to think about it. But when you're black or you're brown or you're Asian, you're you're constantly thinking about your your identity. If you're a woman, you're constantly thinking about, you know, your identity right. as far as gender is concerned, where men don't have mm-hmm. to think about it because they have male mm-hmm. privilege. They never have to think about, you know, what they do or how they say it. But women, we have to kind of, oh, if I say it this way, I'm going to be called this. If I say it that way, I'm too emotional. If I don't speak up, I'm not a strong woman. So we're constantly in question about our identity, just like black and brown people constantly in question. Do I have to speak this way? When should I code switch? Okay, if I dress this way, am I am I looking this way? Am I going to make people feel uncomfortable when I say it this way? If people ask me, Dr. Gates, how are you? If I say I'm angry and I'm upset, am I now the angry black woman? So it's right. <laughs> this right. constant, constant questioning of um, of identity. So yeah, uh, you know, yeah. I think in terms of like you know asking about identity. What it means to be a white person. I think unless you are really actively racist, <laughs> mm. you don't ever really think about. You don't really think about it. You don't ident like you don't identify yourself as white. Like it's not like you said. You don't think about it um, unless you're into like white power, right? But if that's yeah. not part of who you are, you're not. E- and not thinking about it, you're also not aware of how you are treated differently. This is until yeah, this you is true. actually have mm-hmm. yeah until you actually have to look at it and say, wait, how would I be treated if I wasn't white doing this exact behavior? And that mm-hmm. really, when you sort of say, you know, can say, wow, that wow, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is a wow moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have master level teacher professionals, and we just finished our class last week, and um, they're all white. I have one black student, they're all white. And I don't separate them between black and white, but I, I wanted to really pose this question because they have predominantly black and brown students, and they teach high school. So I asked them, I said, since you identify as white, um, and you're going to use, do you think that you're going to use an actual white lens? Like, how are you going to have these conversations 
about what has occurred, demonstrations, protests, looting, George Floyd, Breonna, but how are you going to have these conversations with the white lens that you have? What are you willing to do, and where do you think you're going to make some mistakes? And mm-hmm. it, it turned into this whole conversation. But the common denominator among all of them was, you know, except for the black student, because I just wanted her to be quiet just for a minute because I knew what she was going to say. But I wanted to give them uh-huh. the floor because I said this has to be open and honest. And they were at a loss. They said, I don't know how I'm going to do that. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do that. So it goes mm-hmm. back to what we just talked about. I said, acknowledge that you have a privilege that maybe they don't have. And right. if you if you get stuck, I always like to go back to gender to help people understand about race because it's still a social identity. You know, think in terms mm-hmm. of you're a woman and the privilege that men will have over women. We live in a male patriarchal system. But mm-hmm. we also live in a white supremacy male patriarchal system, if we really put that right. into perspective that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I said one thing you want to keep in mind <laughs> is to make sure that you that you acknowledge yourself or even ask them, what do you see when you look at me? Describe me. And they kind of look like you want, to, you want them to tell us that? And I say, yes. Tell them, what do you see when you look at me? Okay, I see a woman. What else? Uh, you have long hair. Okay, what else do you see? And I said, if they don't cover race, it's because they have been trained not to cover it. So you start. You don't see me as white? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have you have to see me as white. You have to, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. And this is what it means to me to be white. I know that I have a privilege that maybe you don't have. And here's some examples of that. I haven't been pulled over by the police. Has anyone in here been pulled over by the police? And it goes back to something that comedian Paul Mooney said years ago. And he said, every black man has a police story. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said, every mm-hmm. black man has a police story. So I said, you're going to have to see that, and you're going to have to listen to those experiences and put your privilege to the side, along with your emotions and your ego, and just listen. Be an active listener at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I said, bring something from – from a, maybe a family heirloom to show that you have a connection to something. It could be a necklace. It could be a bracelet. But have them look person, but every social identity that makes you who you are. Uh-huh. You know, and, and start the conversations from there and, and let them yeah. vent. It's okay. <laughs> so in the couple of minutes that we have left, um, uh-huh. I know I've kept you on for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? What would you recommend for listeners on how you said that reading is really important? So do you have any suggestions about um, books or websites, things that people could read, um, any way that listeners can participate in? Because I really have always believed that if you're not part of the the solution, you're part of the problem. You know, that old Mm -hmm. saying. Um, How can people be part of the solution? I would say, as far as resources are concerned, I would say read mm-hmm. Robin, D'Ange- Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility. Uh-huh. I would say yeah. read, read Tim Wise's book, White Like Me. It was also a documentary, but I would say read the book. Um, I would also say to read this compilation of essays by Mika Pollock. She just recently edited this book, and there are tons and tons of essays in this book that focuses around courageous conversations and it also acknowledges scholars who have covered things about using hip-hop in the curriculum, cultivate the trust of black parents in schools, because it's also about trust with our young people too, but also our parents in schools when it comes to even these types of conversations. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the books and resources, but as far as conversations are concerned, and Mika Pollock actually covered this, but if someone says something in a group and if something is racially charged, I would just say, say to them, um, could you tell me what you mean when you said and put mm-hmm. exactly what they said to you? So one example, I'll make it really quick. I was in a group and a, one person was talking about the immigrants um, coming over to our country and it's illegal. And they said something about um, pink and yellow people. Now, I didn't know what that <laughs> meant. So I, I said, excuse me, I'm a, I don't know what that means. So I said, excuse me, but could you tell me what you mean when you say pink and yellow people? So 
on the one note, I'm being an active listener because I heard what you said, but at the same time, you're going to provide for me clarification because now I can make you look into you at that point. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. she goes on to say in her book, um, was that shaped by you or others in your environment? Like was your perspective shaped by you alone or others within your environment? So now you start to bring out the biases in the person. And they, they, they may become, it's either going to be a fight or flight. And I'm not going to say fight as in physical. It, mm-hmm. it may turn into a big argument where they're yelling and screaming because no one has made them reflect on what they have said. Right. So now this is part right. of that consequence to what you have said. But could you elaborate when you say pink and yellow people? I'm just curious about that. And be very calm uh-huh. about it. <laughs> very calm. Right. Right. So, yes, but that's right. what I can offer. <laughs> Okay, and maybe um, when you get a chance, if you can send me the information on that those, that um, reference for the essays, then I can put it in the website post later tonight. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah no problem. That would be great. Um, okay, and if people want to find out more about you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, they can reach out to me. I have a Gmail. Um, I check it every day, but it is D as in dog. R as in Roger, my last name, Gates, like Bill Gates, uh, 218 mm-hmm. at gmail.com. All right. Yeah. Okay. On the website. Thank you so much again for coming back on the program. This is such an important time for you to be on this show. So I really appreciate it. And, oh, um, thank you. And let's- um, yeah. Let's stay in touch because, you know, I'd love to have you come back. Oh, I would love to come back. And thank you for thinking of me for this conversation. I was anticipating this, so I appreciate that. Okay. All right. Great. Well, you have a good night, and please stay safe. You do the same. Thank you. Stay safe. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a brief break, and we have – some more to come, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Worry about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden ears. Um, it's hard to follow that with anything, and we only have a few minutes left. So I'm, I'm not going to get deep into any topic right now because I really want to let that, that discussion kind of sit with you, um, but just kind of let you know what's going on here and coming up. I just recently posted a blog uh, last night on Thrive Global, and you can find it on my website, drmaricarpel.com, about science versus opinion. And it really is about that whole idea that, you know, people are uh, um, deciding about really important health issues based on what, quote, unquote, resonates with them or what opinion they have politically, rather than actually looking at science and, and looking at important um, scientific data and expert advice, people who are actually scientific experts and medical experts and epidemiologists talking about this virus, for example, that when we go with what resonates with us, um, there's no place for it there. I I wholeheartedly believe in resonating and feeling drawn to 
certain likes and dislikes and following our passion and things that we enjoy doing based on what we're called to do and what our soul calls us to do and what resonates with us, um, where we want to live, who we want to be with, those sorts of things, that is on the side of, of resonation <laughs> um, and personal uh, likes and what we're drawn to. But when we're talking about health and we're talking about an issue that can not only affect your own health, but the health of other people in your community, then it's really important to actually look at science and what doctors are telling us. And I don't mean, I know a lot of people are kind of paranoid about big pharmaceutical companies, and I agree that that's, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about looking at actual scientific data showing us that masks, something as simple as wearing a mask can actually significantly prevent the spread of a virus. And it will not cause illness to wear a mask. So look at the science of that. And um, I'm not going to get into scientific studies about it, but I think it's really important to look at the science. And the other part of the the blog was about is about um, looking at what is really good research versus bad research, and um, is it is it is it a really reliable source that you're getting your uh, information from um, from actual scientists and not uh, people who just you know say that they are an expert. So that's the blog that just came out. Um, saying what resonates with me as science is the title. And the other blog that is coming out with during this week is about um, delaying gratification. Um, you know, if we call ourselves mature adults, then um, it's okay to delay gratification and to um, hold off on doing things that you miss doing. I know a lot of people want everything to get back to normal really fast and to just go back, forget about this virus and get back to doing what you were doing, what you really want to do. Um, but we see what happens when people do that. Um, for example, the state, several states in the, in, in the country, including the one that I'm in opened up really quickly and people just, just jumped on board and figured that meant, that they should do everything that they want to do rather than thinking, well, just because the bar is open doesn't mean that I actually have to go to the bar. And I don't certainly don't have to go to a crowded bar. I don't have to be in a place where I'm speaking really close to another person um, or several people with my, with them not wearing a mask because I'm drinking, um, you know, think things through. And because of that, you know, the bars have closed here. And I know that in Florida as well. So um, delaying gratification is part of being an adult. It's part of being mature. You know, when I grew up, um, when I was growing up, my parents used to tell me a lot of things that I couldn't do because, you know, we didn't have the money to do it. Um, we couldn't afford it or they thought it was too dangerous. And they would tell me, no, it's not. It's not a good time for you to do that. The weather is going to be bad, for example. Um, well, it isn't a good time to go out and do some of the things that you used to do right now. Um, it might not be the weather, but it is a virus that, that is contagious. And it may not hurt you, but you can be an asymptomatic carrier of this virus and spread it to somebody else who then can spread it to somebody else. Maybe they have a grandparent that lives with them and can kill them. So um, let's all be, you know, um, aware of the other people in our community. And, again, that word compassion and empathy comes up, that it's not just about us. And um, when we wear a mask or when we stay home, we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for our community and for people that we don't even know. But there's a really powerful thing to that. It, it's very empowering when we feel 
that we're doing something to help other people and we put it in that perspective, it can feel really wonderful. It can feel really great. And, you know, in terms of going out and just having a good time and getting our hair cut, all of those things, there are, there are some bigger things going on right now in the world. Um, there's this pandemic that is killing a lot of people or making them very sick. And there is this issue going on with um, racial injustice that people are finally waking up to. There's a lot of big things going on. Let's pay attention to those things and put off gratification of the, our wants and desires that are short term. You know, one of the things that I learned um, with having, having had parents that said no to me um, was that when I actually got to do it, I enjoyed it more. So think about how much fun it'll be when you finally do those things when it's safe and when we're all able to come together, right? So, and finally, just I just wanted to end with something positive that, um, you know, being a realistic optimism, I have written in my book, The Passionate Life, Optimism is planting flowers in the mud, seeing that at least one or two will survive and blossom, knowing that their beauty will somehow give us the strength and conviction to keep moving forward. When we right now might feel that we're in the mud, we can feel optimistic that we're doing the right thing to protect ourselves. We're reading up on how we can be better people in dealing with the people in the world, um, our, our friends, our neighbors, our community members who may look different than us um, or be from different places or have a disability um, or love different people, that we can spend this time planting those seeds and getting to um, decide how we want to come back into the world as better people to bring about a more beautiful, loving, compassionate place to live. This is a good time to read some of those books, for example, that Dr. Gates uh, recommended. And I'm going to be posting those on my website later tonight so that you can, you can see the, what they are in case you didn't have your pen and paper ready. Um, this is a good time to educate yourself if you're staying home. So um, let's do that. Let's come together in the future um, in a better, more loving place. Okay, so on that note, let me just fill you in on what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, next Sunday, July 5th, we'll be taking a break for the holiday weekend, and we'll be playing an encore of our show with Gerald Yearwood, retired senior officer of diversity at of Diversity Affairs at Miami University, and he joined us a few weeks ago to talk about his perspective on what's happening right now in America, and, and he had some ideas about how we can be part of the solution, and some of them are similar to Dr. Gates's, and some he had a few other ideas, so uh, you might want to listen to that interview. And then we'll be back live on July 12th with another great show and we'll be joined by Lori Seymour, who is a two-time number one international best-selling author, founder and host of the Wisdom Talk radio podcast, executive coach, international speaker and trainer, and founder and CEO of the Baca Institute. And she'll be joining us to discuss how you can be an innovator at any age and in every aspect of your life. And the twins, Ruben and Minerva, will be back in July to take us to new places in the Bay of Banderas in Mexico. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and also um, you can hear the show in five minutes by going to blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenears and or to Apple Podcasts. And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And special thanks to my guest, Dr. Zakia Gates. And, of course, thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. 
Have a peaceful night, an inspiring couple of weeks. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Have a wonderful holiday. To brothers of the sun, to children of the moon at night, one sees the stars, one hears the bird in flight. Like the beauties in the sea, they live their lives in harmony. One sees the waves, and one hears the song it brings. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 